1: You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.
0: Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson with Nick Springer. Hey, happy Friday. Oh, it is Friday. It is wow. Friday. That that's always nice. feels good when you yeah. make it so close to the weekend. That's for True. sure. Yeah. So uh, today we're going to be breaking down the KU Iowa State game throughout the show. It's a pretty big one for KU, to say the least. Is it? Yeah, I would say so. Top 25 matchup okay. on the road. Well, listen, if you, Derek Johnson, declare that it's mm-hmm. a big game, well, surely, surely it must it be a to big be. game. It has I mean, to. you've declared it. Yeah, I want to get into some uh, must-win conversation. Uh, We'll get to that. Graham Dorian will join us in about 30, 35 minutes from right now to talk a little bracketology. We uh, also are going to talk Chiefs AFC Championship game, uh, game picks for KU, game picks for the NFL this weekend. Plenty more coming at you throughout the show, including some Bill Self audio. First, RCST is brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery. And the first question we always ask here for KU Iowa State is our preview is brought to you by CBB Analytics, which will be giving us some stats here that we'll be talking about. How important is this game?
2: Well, Derek, I think it's pre- I think it's pretty important. Mm-hmm. I think it's pretty damn important. Dare we say must win? It's I mean, okay. Let's 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 put some perspective on this. Mm-hmm. In terms of like the season's over if you lose. No, it is not a must win. But here at Kansas, the expectation is that you're going to compete and or win a Big 12 title every year. Right. And from that standpoint, this game certainly looks much closer to a must-win than not a must-win. <laughs> okay? Because, touched on this earlier in the week, Kansas has played, arguably, not arguably, definitively, their three easiest road games already. Yes. They are one in two in those three road games that are supposed to be their easiest road games of the season. Okay? They now have six road games left that are all going to be extremely tough. Right? And if you're going to go one in two in the road games you, th- you were supposed to win, that means you got to get one back somewhere, yep. right? You got to you got to get one back somewhere. Would and you rather try this, to get one back here or at Houston? Exactly, that's the point. Would you rather try to get one back against Iowa State and Ames or at Houston or at Baylor or at Kansas State? I mean, I mean, listen, you know, Kansas State's environment sure. is going to be turned up for KU specifically, so. This looks like to be one of the more winnable opportunities for you to maybe quote unquote get one back.
0: And to be clear, I think this is actually the toughest road environment. It I'm probably just like is. team wise. Like team Houston wise, is one of the best teams in the country. You know exactly. What I mean? Yeah. Baylor's exactly. real. Houston. Think, yeah.
2: Baylor will certainly be tough. Mm-hmm. Like I said, Kansas State. You know how they feel, and you know that that's going to be their Super Bowl, obviously, every year. And you got Texas Tech on the road, right? And furthermore. With the inbound schedule, a game like this takes on even more heightened importance because this is not a situation where if you go to Ames and you lose, you can say, well, we can get them back when they come down house. Fieldhouse. Eh, Wrong. No, you can't because guess what? They ain't coming down house. Fieldhouse, okay? This is your one chance until you get to the Big 12 tournament potentially, right? So that makes this game even more important from that that perspective. And if you're Kansas, you win this game, you're keeping pace with basically the other top teams in the league, whereas if you're Iowa State and you win this game – you mentioned it yesterday. Iowa State may have a legitimate claim to say, "Hey, we're we're going to be a team that that could win the Big Twelve title, right?" Mm-hmm. So it's it's a very very important game for for Kansas to go on the road in a tough environment. And actually, you mentioned Ames is or Hilton Coliseum, Hilton, oh, Hilton Magic, oh Hilton Magic. You mentioned that as being a, a tough environment to play in. Bill Self has actually been pretty successful there. All things considered, I think you were saying on Hawk Talk we we had was it it's Henry thir- or somebody thirteen to six. six yeah. It's pretty good there.
0: considering they've had like it's not just like you're winning games against a team who's been bad. They've had a lot Iowa of State's great teams. Been there, a right? really solid team. Fred Hoiberg years. and now with T.J. Otzelberger.
2: Yeah, that's yeah. pretty impressive. T.J. Frat guy. Yeah. T.J. Frat. <laughs> well, yeah. So I, I think this. It's like I said, big picture wise. Like if you lose this game, can you not make the can you not win the national championship? No, of course not. You can still win the national championship if you lose this game. But again, with the expectations year in and year out being Big Twelve title this becomes a game where you look and say, okay, these other road games coming up are going to be just as difficult or in some cases more difficult. This is your chance to maybe get one back that you dropped, right? I mean, we, we touched on this even going back to the start of conference play with the idea of there's going to be situations where Kansas might have an opportunity to gain a game or lose a game. Well, they've lost some games, obviously, with, with the West Virginia game and UCF, and here's one of your better chances to kind of get one back. Mm-hmm. Can you do that, though? Yeah, and I, I think when I just look at the math of everything, I mean, it, it
0: depends what math you want to use of how many wins you think it takes to win the league. I'm starting to err on the side of 13 and five after we talked about some of this earlier this week with with Houston and kind of what you expect them to do the rest of the way, and especially I mean, if if Iowa State wins this game, they're five and two with wins over you know Houston and. And uh, Kansas at that point, you'd still have, like, uh, several other teams who are 4-2. and two If or, you're right.
2: Kansas, you want to be able to rely on just saying, hey, let's go out and win our games and take care of business. Exactly. Right? You and don't want to be in a situation where, oh, well, gosh, we need Houston to go
0: lose or Iowa State to go lose. Yeah, and so if, if you figure 13 wins, probably gets it done in the Big 12. I, I think that's a fair estimation. Maybe it ends up being 12. But I think 13, you feel good about it. You're 4-2. and two. You lose this game, you would be 4-3. and three. That means to get to 13 wins, you got to finish 9-2. and two. And uh, when you look at the schedule, the final 11 games, versus Oklahoma State, versus Houston, at Kansas State, versus Baylor, at Texas Tech, at Oklahoma, versus Texas, versus BYU, at Baylor, versus Kansas State, at Houston, there's a good chance you lose more than two of those games. <laughs> you could lose three or four of them, right? So it just becomes hard. And you're 100% sure. right that... They don't have to win the league to make a Final Four or to win a national title. That's not a prerequisite. Certainly, if you win the league, probably means you have a better chance of winning the national title or yeah, making a Final Four you're a better team. You might yeah. have an easier path with yeah. uh, how the seeding works out, but it doesn't eliminate it. So it's not a 10 out of 10. It's not a true must win, but if you're viewing it from the lens of you want to win the Big 12, This is about as close to a must-win as Game 7 of the Big 12 season could possibly be. So, from that standpoint, I would say how important is this game? Probably like an 8.5. It's pretty important. Yeah, Yeah, it's pretty important. Yeah. Uh, As far as the uh, Iowa State scouting report, I guess we should probably start this off with part of Iowa State's scouting report is them possibly scouting the opponent.
2: Yes, yes. Because uh,
0: some interesting stuff has kind of come out from after the (laughs) Kansas State-Iowa State game. Whether much of it is just hubbub or... Uh, complaining or is real versus yeah. being you know truthful I think kind of remains to be seen but there's some stuff that has been kind of lobbed out there from Kansas State and their coaching staff that maybe there was some behind the scenes uh, espionage going on with the cyclones
2: yeah so we kind of talked about this game a little bit on yesterday's show and the aftermath of the game and whatnot and just espionage aside <laughs> the game itself was crazy right you had technical fouls you had got coaches yelling at each other you had a, a confrontation after the game. And, yeah, now it's starting to come out that K-State K is, uh, I guess, shall we say, suspect of some individuals from the Iowa State uh, crowd area, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, about possibly some people, you know, maybe it seems like Iowa State. Do we know what Connor Stallions is doing? It seems like Iowa State maybe might have hired him. He's, he could be unemployed. Know. He could be employed by Iowa State. Who knows? I don't know. we, might, we might need to get a flight tracker on Connor Stallions <laughs> if he was in Ames. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know. We'll see, you know, look basically looking at the huddle. Uh, some of it seems maybe overblown a little bit. Yeah, some of it seems like well, the thing that I kept going back to was like, how much do you really gain? Like, how much would you be able to really gain from being from having somebody like record the opponent's huddle? how like how quickly could you relay that information mm-hmm. to where it would be useful to a staff like during a
0: game yeah and for what it's worth some of the allegations there are some allegations that include that somebody was like sitting behind the bench and texting things to the other no, side <laughs> that seems a bit ridiculous yeah there were other allegations about like uh managers, managers basically going down to the other half and whether it was what mopping the floor or just yeah. like walking by and then relaying that the other way i again I, I don't know if any of that's true or not or if it's just hearsay or maybe paranoia in some way but it certainly is something that at the very least like if you're Kansas You play it safe. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, there's no way. Yeah, I mean, you definitely have to be aware of it, right? Right. Like, it might not be true, but it better be safe than sorry if you're KU. You know, I I don't know what those measures go into. Do
2: you 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 drop, like, a dummy play? You could. Well, I was thinking, you You know how. wristbands uh, on the players and just be like, (laughs) all right, we're calling. Well, you know, uh, the way I was thinking was, you know how in football they have uh, the guys that hold the flags Mm -hmm. to block out the view? Yeah. You just have a bunch (laughs) of guys hold up. You know, towels and stuff around the huddle. I don't, uh-huh. I don't know. It's it's definitely a bit weird, I guess that uh, that stuff has, has kind of come out. And, and again, who knows who knows if what what's true or what's not true. But uh, yeah, the the fact that Kansas is now coming into town right after kind of the, some of the stuff is being talked about, it it certainly is significant, or it's certainly something that you want to keep an eye on. I guess.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So that
0: that'll be interesting how that affects it. But uh, as far as Iowa State themselves. This is one of the best defensive teams in the country. Yep. Right now on Ken Palm's adjusted defense efficiency, third in the country. And the main reason why, they force turnovers. Number one steal rate defense in the country. Number one turnover rate defense in the country, turning the opposition over 26.6% of the time. Even in conference play, it's at 25.6% of the time, which is also first. So basically one in every four possessions are turnovers. And that becomes interesting because KU has had some bad turnover games against teams who have forced turnovers. Now, lately, KU's done a good job quieting some of those numbers down, but they haven't yeah. been playing as difficult teams there. When they've played the more difficult teams, like some of the best teams they've played at, at forcing turnovers, Marquette, Big L, TCU, had to scathe that one out and, and you know had some things go your way or had to shoot really well in a lot of ways to win that game. UCF, that was a game you lost. So that becomes the big concern, I think, coming into this game. Elsewhere, Iowa State has been a a good defensive rebounding team. Um, They have also been a really good offensive rebounding team. So you know, something that we've seen kind of come up here lately is is KU on the glass. That becomes apparent in this battle. Uh, Iowa State's also got a two-point defense that's pretty good, pretty solid at blocking shots, though both those numbers have dropped a bit in conference-only games. So we'll see what that provides in this game. And then offensively, this is not a a great Iowa state offense ranked 52nd on adjusted offensive efficiency, but that is still a big jump from where they've been because the last two years, you know, two years ago, they had that sweet 16 team that had like the undefeated non-con and then they, they started off poorly in, in big 12 play. They were three and nine finished seven and 11 ended up making the tournament and making it to a uh, sweet 16. That team was a top five defense like this one is but they were 171st on offense. Mm. Last year's Iowa State team, they kind of did the same thing, started hot in non-con play. Actually, they did start hot in Big 12 play at 6-2, and two, but yeah. then dropped all the way to 9-9. Nine and nine. They ended up making the first round of the tournament and had kind of miserable 18-point loss where they scored 41 in that the first a good, round. That uh, was Pitt, right? pit yeah, yeah. It was a very ugly game. <laughs> I remember that game. They just got nothing beat. on offense. I mean, they just got beat into yes. a pulp. But again, that one was... Top 10 defense, 8th on defense, 114th on offense. So to even be 52nd on offense right now when you have that defense gives them a chance at least, unlike some of those past couple offenses. And the way they do it, they, they haven't been uh, turning the ball over like a super high amount, which is good for them. They get those offensive rebounds. They get to the free throw line. They're physical. They score on the inside. They don't take a lot of threes. And so far in conference play, only 26.5% from three. Maybe that scares you a little bit yeah, if you're a KU fan. You, you know what that means. The reversion is coming, as seemingly everybody's does against KU. But this is more about how KU handles the Iowa State defense to me.
2: Yeah, we talked yesterday with with about Kansas, actually, about the Jayhawks not necessarily having maybe a calling card, mm-hmm. one thing that they are elite at. Well, guess what? Iowa State has a calling card. They have one thing that they are very elite at, and you've, you touched on it. It's forcing turnovers, right? Number one in the country Enforcing turnovers—they've been so good at that all season long. And when you look at Kansas, which you alluded to, over the last four games, Kansas has been really good, right? You go back to Oklahoma—they tie a program record with only two turnovers. Then you look at the Oklahoma State game—eleven turnovers—that's still—that's pretty good, right? I think Bill Self has always said between ten and twelve turnovers is kind of what he's usually shooting for, under ten, right? Yeah. Then you go to the West Virginia game—you had, uh, let's see, you had seven in that one. That was more about West Virginia's getting hot, but yeah. Yeah, then you go to Cincinnati and you had 11 turnovers, right? This is a game against Iowa State where if you have more than probably 13 or 14 turnovers, it's going to be tough to win, probably. You're going to have to take care of the ball against this Iowa State team. They're going to apply a lot of ball pressure. They're going to be aggressive. And for Kansas, this will be the real test for them, right? I think we kind of basically said, okay, the turnover situation is somewhat fixed, even though Bill Self was adamant that they did not spend any extra time working on turnovers. Oh, okay, Bill. Right? So this, But this will be the real test. This will be the litmus test mm-hmm. of how much have you worked on that, how much have you improved in that area. Because you're right, early in the season there were some bad games that either KU lost or almost lost uh, because of turnovers. Right? And this is yes. your litmus test of how far you've come in terms of taking care of the ball. How far have you come in terms of truly executing and being able to to maintain possession of the ball? And obviously that starts with Dewan Harris. And Dewan Harris is a guy that we have talked about quite a bit uh, on the show about some of the things he's done well, but some of the areas where he struggled. This is going to be probably the most difficult game for him up to this point in the season, maybe besides the Marquette game, mm-hmm. right, in terms of his matchup. Because he is going to, A, have a very, very difficult defensive assignment with Lipsy for Iowa State, and B, the pressure is going to be on him to be able to facilitate the offense, distribute the ball, and not turn it over. And if you were to snip out just the last two minutes of the Cincinnati game, you probably wouldn't be feeling very good about that. Because Dewan Harris made some dumb decisions late in the game. He did like half the team's turnovers. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if that if that, you know, wavers your confidence a little bit coming into this game, but certainly to me, the spotlight for this game is solely on Dewan Harris. This is your chance, DeWan Harris, to sort of reassert yourself as, hey, listen, I'm one of the best point guards in the Big Twelve, maybe in the country. Because that was a lot of the talk. That talk has basically been non-existent over the course of the season because you haven't been you haven't really played up to that level at times. The defense hasn't quite been there consistently and certainly the scoring hasn't been there. The assist numbers are there but you're you've had issues with turnovers, right? This is a game where you have a chance to really come out and kind of plant your flag once again as being one of the one of the top facilitating point guards in the conference. And you have a chance to do it against literally the best defense yeah. in the country in terms of turnovers. Yeah, so I think
0: if if we're looking at the question of what scares you most Iowa State does well I mean, I think you could have an argument about the rebounds with how that's gone over the last two games, that what if Iowa State gets like 20 offensive rebounds? But for me, it is the turnover thing. Because yeah. uh, when I look at Iowa State specifically, this goes back to them not being a great offense, even though they're better than the last two years. Iowa State is getting 22.6 points off of turnovers per game. That is literally the best in the country. So if you avoid turning the ball over, it's not just that your offense is going to be more efficient it's that you're going to make their offense way less efficient because guess what? Yeah. They're not a great half-court offense. And furthermore, if you stop turning the ball over, you're going to get more shots. You're going to get more yeah. looks against the defense. You need to get more of those against.
2: Yeah, in a game like this, missing a shot on offense might even be a better outcome in some scenarios yes. compared to turning it over. 100%. 100%. And, and at least so so like, you got a shot up.
0: You look at the, the turnover rate games. KU's two worst turnover offensive games are both losses. In games where they turn it over 23 percent or more of the time on offense, they're only two and two. Versus uh, what would that be, uh, 14 and one? Yeah, when they don't, 14 and one. Yeah, that's pretty good, right? Iowa State, meanwhile, defensively, when they force 23 percent turnover rate or higher, they're 14 and zero. When they don't, they are one and four.
2: Yeah,
0: And so again, I, that's, I, that's their calling card. It's 100 percent. So that's what scares me most that they could take over the game with, I guess maybe that's just the best way to put it, extra possessions, whether it is the steals, whether it is the turnovers. Because even in the the second chance points, they're getting 13.4 second chance points per game. That's in the 94th percentile of the country. That's that's how they score. They get second chance points. They get steals. They get the extra possessions. If you can make them play a
2: half-court game, they're not
0: going to have a very efficient offense. Where yeah. do you think KU has the
2: biggest edge? Well, I talked about with Dewan Harris matching up against Lipsy, I I think KU probably has the biggest advantage down low Mm -hmm. with Hunter Dickinson scoring-wise offensively. This is a game that feels like they need to go through him, and maybe he's poised to have a big game after kind of a game in which he got in foul trouble against Cincinnati and didn't really get to get going. Uh, I think you've got to look for Hunter Dickinson in this game, right? He's a guy that can help settle things down, and when you're playing, it's a team that can turn you over a lot easily. I think, to me, what I would want to do is get the ball to a spot where you can – you're gonna be able to have a chance to get a shot up, right? Hunter Dickinson's going to give you that opportunity. If he touches the ball on offense, good things tend to happen. So he he to me is the guy that I want to keep an eye on beyond Dewan Harris, right? I mean Dewan Harris has to be able to get him the ball, but I, I think I look I look for Hunter Dickinson in this game. And Iowa State on the wings doesn't always doesn't necessarily score as much, which maybe might help a guy like Kevin McCullough and even Johnny Furphy maybe not have to expend so much energy on the defensive end to where they can get active and, and score on the offensive end.
0: So one thing that scares me with with Hunter in this one is Iowa State does such a good job preventing shots at the rim. They're in the 99th percentile this season in the country, so about as good as it gets in the amount of field goal attempts that a team gets at the rim against them. For instance, um, only 20, basically 20.6% 20 of shots taken per game against the Iowa State defense. Are within four and a half feet of the rim. The Division One average is thirty point six percent, so it's ten percent below the Division One average. And I think the reason why isn't that they have Hakeem Olajuwon down there. I know Robert <laughs> Jones and Hassan Ward are, are solid enough; they're good defenders. Yeah, they, Robert you know, they're, Robert they're, they're, Jones should be a guy. Yeah, they're that
2: physical maybe guys. Triggers right? some PTSD a little bit because he had a, didn't
0: he have a, he had a big game against he K, did he had he had a bunch of offensive rebounds. Yeah, um, so like they're 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 solid players. They're solid defenders and stuff. But it's more about to me. I think they do such a good job pressuring the ball, so it makes it hard for you to throw it inside they front sometimes they'll have a double team come in that that's where they get a lot of their steals when you try to dump it down low and so they they prevent shots at the rim that does scare me a little bit I I think one area that KU could have an edge I mean they give up a lot of threes and I think Kansas needs to go in this game I know we're typically seeing Kansas take 14 15 16 threes in a game I think you need to go in this game saying we're going to take 25 threes because one of the ways to avoid turnovers just shoot it before you you pass into a a tight (laughs) window right And shoot over the defense. And right now, Iowa State is in the third percentile of the country in corner threes allowed per game. Okay? They're also in the— Is that uh, Johnny Furphy's music I hear? Uh, Yeah. They're also in the 12th percentile in above the break threes. They give up a lot of three-point attempts. I think some of it is they're so good on the inside, you almost have to take threes. But it's not like teams are shooting super poor against them from three. I mean, teams are shooting 33.2% from three against them, which is like fine. But especially when you add in how many crappy opponents they played in the non-con, that actually ends up being better than you think. Furphy and McCuller, I think to your point on the wing defense, to the point of who are your best three-point shooters, I think do have an opportunity to actually have a good game here.
2: Maybe this is more of a game where Hunter Dickinson is a pick-and-pop guy, you know? So let me ask you this: Do you trust Hunter Dickinson with the ball, like to make the right decision, like on an entry pass? He gets the ball on an entry pass. Do you trust him to do the right thing? Yeah, I do. Whether it's getting doubled and kicking out, or seeing an opportunity to go one on one and try to score, or do you trust him to do the right thing? Like, basically, sure. do you play the game through Hunter? Like, yes. Give it to him in the high post yes. and, and let him figure it out. I do. Yes. Because I, I I think so. Yeah. yeah, I think he's I think he's proven that. Because that's, maybe, that's kind of the approach that maybe I would take in this game, right? Because I don't think you want Dewan Harris, literally every possession, bringing the ball up sure. and trying to fill the steals at the offense. I don't, think, I don't think you want that. Because they're going to pressure the whole yeah. way through. you
0: yeah. know. Uh, and I think that's the most interesting player match of DeJuan Harris versus Tameen Lipsy. Oh, for sure. Lipsy's at 3.2 steals per game, and yeah. he is filling up the stat sheet. Yeah. If Dewan can even make that a net neutral matchup, I, I think, think that's, that's a win for K. Oh,
2: 100%. Yeah. 100%. Because, again... On top of Dewan Harris, you consider what we, what we've talked about with him on the offensive end. Like I said, he's drawing the toughest assignment on the de- one of the toughest assignments on the defensive end as well, because mm-hmm. Lipsy can be a scorer also. So it, I I really really do not like the idea of DeWan Harris being every single possession bringing the ball up the floor, right? And whether that's you know we we've seen KJ Adams bringing up the floor sometimes. I mean, I, honestly, I might wouldn't be opposed to that, but I think you've got to find a way to make sure that the Every possession is not the first ten seconds of the possession, just DeWan Harris dribbling. Right. So again, whether you get it to Hunter in the high post or you, you know, you have some movement, get it to Kevin McCullough or wherever. I just I don't want to see Dewan Harris dribbling the ball too much in this game. I want to see him being able to make quick decisions and pass quickly, and that should hopefully alleviate some of the stress of him having to try to, to run this offense for Kansas. I want to see more of movement early early on in the possession that I think could help could help Kansas. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Graham Doran joins us in less than 15
0: minutes. You're listening to RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Now, it's a Friday here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, and we're joined now by Graham Doran to head us into the weekend and give us a snapshot of what maybe the bracket might look like right now before another loaded slate ahead of us. I think we actually have a big Big Ten game tonight, too, in addition to some of the weekend action. Uh, so, Graham, thanks for coming on the show. If you want to check out Graham Doran's work, at Graham Doran on social media, and you can pretty much see everything you want there. The Bracketology, specifically GrahamDoranBracketology.wordpress.com. Thanks for hopping on again today. Uh, obviously, Kansas takes on Iowa State in their game tomorrow, and because of the West Virginia loss, you have dropped Kansas to a two-seed now, and with Iowa State, they're currently sitting as a four-seed. Is it as simple to say that if Iowa State beats Kansas on Saturday that maybe both would you know, I guess kind of meet in the middle and and end up as three seeds. What would be the impact of that if KU were to lose tomorrow?
1: I I think you're exactly right on what would probably happen. Uh, Iowa State would pick up another big win, uh, and they're already a four-line team, as you mentioned. So I think they probably would move up to that three line, especially because uh, the teams that I have as three seeds right now Uh, including Baylor, Dayton, Auburn. They're not particularly strong three-seeds. I'd actually say they're weaker three-seeds, so they're just waiting for somebody to come in and take that spot. So I think Iowa State would move up to a three, and I think Kansas probably would drop down to a three-seed as well. Uh, Marquette is my top number 3 seed right now, and they get Seton Hall at home tomorrow. If Marquette handles Seton Hall as expected and the Jayhawks lose in Ames, I believe Marquette having that head-to-head win in Hawaii would actually move forward to the 2-line and drop the Jayhawks 2-3.
0: I guess the flip side to this, though, the the more glass-half-full way of looking at it, if Kansas wins at Iowa State, does that possibly bump them back to a 1-seed?
1: I think it's possible, uh, but probably unlikely. The Jayhawks have a bad loss at West Virginia that's still on that resume, isn't going to be going away anytime soon. So I think when you compare that to teams like Houston and UConn and UNC and Purdue, they just don't have the combination of elite wins and a clean record in Quadrant 3 that those other teams do. So I think, actually, the Jayhawks would remain a two-seed, even with a win at Iowa State, but it would get them closer uh, to potentially becoming a one-seed.
0: Let's say Kansas splits these next two, so maybe a loss at Iowa State, then beats Oklahoma State, and then uh, we've talked a little bit about that insanely difficult final ten games for them, where you know I I think anywhere between, I don't know, four and six, five and five, six and four, seven and three, would, would all be kind of in the range of possibilities. Let's say they just split it the rest of the way. They go six and six. Uh, the final rest of the season. That put them at 22-9. and That would put them at 10-8 and in Big 12 play. And uh, I I guess for what it's worth, I don't necessarily expect this. Like, this might be on the lower realm of possibilities. Who knows? Uh, I guess if you look at some of the analytic stuff or or the metric sites, then then maybe this isn't on the lower end of the spectrum. But I, I know this doesn't give you the full context on the amount of You know, which ones are they winning? Which ones are quad one wins? Which ones are quad twos? And what are the other teams doing and everything? But hypothetically, in that scenario, they're 22 and nine, 10 and eight in Big 12 play. I guess in that scenario, if that is kind of the floor here, what would you kind of see the range of seeding being for for them at that point?
1: I think at that point you're probably looking at a four seed for the Jayhawks, but potentially a three seed. They could be very similar uh, to Baylor last year, which had a a decent record, not necessarily a great record. And they were only decent against quadrant one, not necessarily great against quadrant one. But they had enough victories in that category to really convince the committee uh, that they were worthy of a strong seed. So I would say probably a four seed, um, maybe a three seed, depending on who they beat and when.
0: Is is there kind of a I don't know a magic number, a target number that you kind of look at and are like, okay, if they can do this, they'll be feeling good that they'll probably be a one seed. If not, they'll be like one of the first two
1: seeds. I think for the Jayhawks it's it's really simple. If they can win the Big Twelve, I think they will be a number one seed. If they do not win the Big Twelve, I don't think they'll be a one seed. And then it just really comes down to how close to winning the conference were they on whether they're in that two, three, or four-seed discussion. I think it would take a real collapse to fall to a five-seed or worse because those wins from the non-conference aren't going away. Uh, Kentucky, Tennessee, UConn, those are still on the resume and are doing a lot of solid work for the Jayhawks. Well,
0: and obviously with you having them as a two-seed right now, you do have them still in that Omaha pod for the first couple of rounds. Where, where do you think, or I guess what do you think would be the lowest seed that they could possibly still get Omaha would be? Would, would they be fine even if they are a three or four seed?
1: Uh, not in the four seed range. Mm. Somebody else uh, that's closer would be wanting to get that seed line and would get preference as having a better seed. Uh, but maybe in the three seed range. Uh, it would just depend on who is above them in the overall seed list because that's exactly what the committee does. They start with the number one overall team and they start assigning pods all the way down through the 16th overall seed. And so if the Jayhawks are in that three range, uh, we're probably talking, you know, maybe the ninth or 10th team on that overall seed list. They might be high enough up the list to get that, but uh, it's really kind of up in the air. But I do not believe that would be available as a four seed if they're a four seed they're likely headed out to Spokane or Salt Lake City
0: well and certainly seeing that you know Creighton is a four seed right now for you Iowa State's a four seed maybe more so with the Creighton uh, perspective I, I don't know can they play there is that actually their home court I, I think we talked about this a few weeks ago they, they just can't play there at all right
1: no, Creighton would not be able to play in Omaha at all.
0: Okay, so it'd be it'd be teams more like I guess Iowa State or Illinois or I guess maybe Oklahoma, maybe Wisconsin or Marquette. If they wouldn't put them in Indianapolis, that would that would probably be most in contention for that. You think?
1: Yeah, and even teams like Dayton and Auburn okay. could could potentially uh, be headed there, depending on who else is in which specific position above them.
0: We're talking with Graham Doran here. You can uh, check out his work, Graham Doran Bracketology, and at Graham Doran on social media here. Uh, Elsewhere, kind of around the Big 12 right now, uh, we're seeing teams beat up on each other. And it's obviously, I'd imagine, going to be pretty difficult when when things are all said and done for some of these teams who maybe have crafted good non-cons or have a bunch of of wins. Because I feel like we see this every year that, like, there's maybe a Big 12 team that goes, I don't know, 17 and 14 or something where – you know, realistically, maybe in, the, in some of the rankings, they're, they're top 30, top 35 team, but they just don't have the wins to kind of get it done. What what do you think will be the minimum amount of wins that a team can have in the Big 12 this year? Uh, maybe just like in conference play. I, I feel like typically that's seven or eight on a given year. I don't know. Has there been a seven win team uh, that, that they can win that many games and still make it to the NCAA tournament?
1: Ah, uh, seven wins would really be pushing it. Okay. I doubt a seven-win Big 12 team, uh, conference team, would be able to get into the tournament. I do think an eight-win. Big 12 conference team could potentially get there and you've got to be feeling very good if you can go 500 in this league Uh, because I think there's probably going to be nine Big 12 teams that end up making the field it's that strong of a league so if you can get to that 500 mark you're probably in good shape I think eight and ten it would really depend on who did you play uh, where did you play and how did you do I think it would get very close at that point.
0: What to you has been the biggest result in the Big 12 over the last, I guess, week since we've talked to you in terms of uh, shifting the bracket?
1: I think it was Iowa State going down to TCU and winning in Fort Worth. I think uh, for TCU... That really limits their ability to move up the bracket as well. I had them at a seven seed when that game happened. Now they're down to a 10 seed. And for Iowa State, I think they were very light on quality wins, even though their efficiency metrics were very highly regarded. And I think now with that huge win on the road, in addition to the Houston win at home, Iowa State is really moving up the bracket. And as we mentioned, I think they could be as far up as a three seed this weekend.
0: BYU is a really interesting study for me because obviously they had the great non con. Uh, didn't have a ton of like marquee wins in the non con. I know San Diego State was a good one. NC State's a pretty solid one there. Uh, but then so far in conference play, they're two and four. And obviously they're they're a very good team. And you look at, you know, the Ken Palms of the world and the Bar and, and they're ranking very high up there a lot of because they just smashed a lot of these teams in the non con there. But they're still a five seed. And going back to the conversation of I guess how many wins in the Big Twelve, like uh, with where BYU is in some of these metric sites, let's say they do finish 8-10 and 10 in conference play or something, but they are still liked as like a top 15 team uh, in some of those metric sites. What's kind of the highest you could see a team, even with a losing record, like maybe getting as far as seeding goes?
1: I think, first off, BYU should be more concerned about making the field if that's the situation mm. that we're, they're in. Uh, I think it's not a given that they would actually even be in the tournament, even if they were a top-15 uh, net team. We haven't seen anything like that before. But at the end of the day, you got to win enough games to get into the tournament. As you mentioned, BYU went 9-0 and in Quadrant 4 in the non-conference portion of the season. That means they beat up on a lot of cupcakes. They had the non-conference strength of schedule of 287 really, really poured on conference strength of schedule. So I think if I'm BYU at that point, I just want to make sure I'm getting into the field, let alone what my seed line is. Uh, that said, I think with a, in that sort of scenario, uh, BYU would be expecting a double-digit seat uh, because they would barely be getting into the field if they can only muster eight conference wins in the Big 12, considering the lack of damage they did outside the league.
0: Moving to more of a national scope here, kind of same question I had about the Big 12. Was there any result that happened since the last time We talked to you a week ago, uh, whether it was last weekend or over the course of this week that maybe had the biggest shakeup in the bracket from a national perspective.
1: Yeah, I think there were a lot of uh, big games that happened uh, nationally, but the one that really uh, maybe has the biggest national impact is Oregon State losing uh, winning, excuse me, last night yes. against Arizona. That was a very bad loss for Arizona to take after they'd already gotten pummeled by Stanford before. And why I think this is so important nationally is because it really really hurts the chances of Arizona becoming the number one seed in the West region. And if that's the case, the entire bracket could potentially shift uh, on who is sent to what region, because Arizona will probably find themselves as the two seed in the West, uh, meaning a lot of other teams will potentially be staying closer to home uh, with Arizona ending up as the two seed out West.
0: So one of the teams that that I'm very interested in right now is is Auburn, who, lost that game to Alabama earlier this week on the road and i was kind of looking at the resume is, is it is it fair to say that auburn is kind of the antithesis to kansas a team who is very well liked right now by the metric sites kansas not but then you look at the resume kansas has a lot of those you know quad one wins those resume boosting wins whereas for auburn that's not really the case how do you go about like comparing a team like auburn to a team like kansas
1: Yeah, it's really interesting, and I think it does uh, certainly make for an interesting comparison. So I would say that, uh, metrically, with the resume metrics, Kansas and Auburn are a lot closer than you might think. Uh, Kansas is eighth in strength of record, Auburn's tenth. Kansas is ninth in KPI, Auburn's eleventh. They are very close to each other, even though both their three-loss teams and the Jayhawks have really good wins at the top of their resume, and Auburn has zero Quadrant one wins. I think what the big difference is uh, for these teams Is exactly that. It's what they've done in quadrant one. So even though they're very close metrically from a resume standpoint, uh, they are not going to be seen uh, as similar at all by the committee. And the reason why is because Auburn has not proven that they can beat tournament-level teams uh, especially away from home. Uh, They do have some good wins. Uh, I'm not going to say that they don't. uh, But for the most part, those are just decent wins at home. For example, beating Virginia Tech at home Good win, but any team that makes the NCAA tournament should be expected to do that. Teams like Kansas have gone on the road to beat Kentucky and Tennessee in true neutral court games. So I think that's a big differentiator, and I believe Auburn is going to be very similar to Houston from 2022. Everybody thought Houston was one of the best teams in the country, but the committee gave them a five seed, even though Houston was top 14 in every single metric that the committee tracks, they ended up giving them a five seed anyways. And the reason for that was Houston was one and four against quadrant one. If you want to be at the top of the bracket, you need to prove you can beat the best. And Auburn hasn't done that. The Jayhawks have, so I think Kansas is clearly a tier above Auburn and should probably remain there throughout the course of the season, unless the Jayhawks uh, falter pretty hard and Auburn continues to post a great overall record.
0: Feels like normally the I guess non Power Five or, or I guess in basketball Power Six conference team we're talking about getting one of those top three, top four seeds every year is Gonzaga, and you know that's a different conversation because they typically you know bulk up their their schedule in the non-con this year. Uh, there's really, I feel like at least right now, only only one of those teams that's in discussion, it's not Gonzaga, it's Dayton. Uh, what do you think the ceiling on Dayton for their possible seed could be this year if they, I guess, win out?
1: I think the seed, uh, maximum seed that Dayton could get is a two-seed. I don't think there's any way they could get a one-seed. I know uh, back in 2020 with that tournament that never happened, that we all wish it did, uh, Dayton would have been a one-seed in my opinion. I think they would have been the fourth overall uh, seed, uh, making them the last one-seed. And the reason for that is Obi Toppin and a two-loss team. Very, very impressive performances, including against Kansas and Maui, even though they didn't win that game. Uh, whereas this Dayton team, I think, has some good wins. Uh, they beat Cincinnati in Cincinnati. They beat St. John's on a neutral court. Some good wins, certainly, uh, but their metrics uh, as far as efficiency, aren't anything like that prior Dayton team. They're uh, 24 in Ken Palm, 25 in BPI. I think the committee will put a ceiling on Dayton, uh, mainly because they don't have better wins than the wins we've already talked about, and they don't have great efficiency. So I think two, uh, a two-seed would be the ceiling for this Dayton team. Uh, more realistically, I think it would probably be a three-seed, even if they went out. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of committee members that, aren't willing to go that high on a team that hasn't shown they can beat the best teams in the country and whose efficiency really raises questions about whether they're actually one of the best teams in the country or not. I think this will be very similar to New Mexico back in 2010 when the Lobos landed a three seed despite having a very, very impressive resume for the same exact reason. The committee just didn't see the very top high-end level wins and their efficiency was questionable.
0: Well, speaking of uh, some of those teams from smaller conferences, are there any teams just from just from a, uh, I guess, prepping to fill out a bracket or, or watch out for what teams could be bracket busters come, you know, March that you're eyeing right now that could be in that whatever, 11, 12, 13, maybe 14 seed range that you're enjoying watching and enjoying getting to put on the bracket and, and thinking that maybe once the tournament does come out, they could make some noise in March.
1: I think Indiana state if they come out of Missouri Valley and or they're sitting there at a 12 seed I think they would be a very dangerous 12 seed for whoever they play as the five seasons back. I think I'd probably be picking Indiana state against anybody they play. Uh, they've got some great shooters, but they're also just very fundamentally sound some uh, good solid post play as well. So I would choose uh, Indiana state against really anybody that they could get lined up against. Um, and then the other team that really catches my attention is uh, one that had maybe fallen off the radar a little bit recently, uh, but that's James Madison. Uh, they've got that season-opening win at Michigan State. Uh, we haven't really heard as much from them recently, especially because they've taken a couple losses in Sun Belt play. Uh, but don't count out the Dukes from having uh, a big March Madness performance either. All
0: right, well, uh, I have the pop the bubble for this week. I'm giving you two Big 12 teams. I-, I gave you one of these teams a few weeks ago, but they've strengthened their resume since then. Kansas State versus Texas, how close is that, and uh, whose bubble would you pop?
1: I would pop Kansas state's bubble. And the reason why is the Wildcats haven't really done good work away from home, whereas Texas has actually really come around recently and uh, has been surprisingly strong over the past couple weeks. Uh, It looked like Texas was going to be in real danger due to the lack of non-conference wins that they picked up, but they just went to Oklahoma this week and were dominant in a 15-point victory in Norman. Uh, They've also gone to Cincinnati and picked up a victory. So I think the road work that Texas has done Uh, really makes them a step above Kansas State. So I actually have Texas as an 11 seed right now and Kansas State as a 12 seed, but I don't see them as particularly close. I think Texas has a much stronger case to be in the field, and frankly, uh, if there was more room for them to be higher up the seed lines, I would put them there. Sometimes there's just not enough spaces to put teams in there.
0: He is Graham Doran. Uh, Graham, where can you check out all your work, and, and what do you have going on right now?
1: As you mentioned, uh, Graham Dorn Bracketology. Uh, I put that on WordPress um, and Twitter. You mentioned I'm I'm always at Graham Dorn on Twitter. I'm pretty active on there. So if you want to see my brackets, see the seed list, uh, some thoughts, check me out there. Also, I do the unnamed Bracketology podcast on YouTube with the Bleacher Reports. Carrie Miller. Uh, So please feel free to subscribe to that and check out some of our uh, twice-a-week podcasts about Bracketology.
0: There we go. You can get all the info you need right there. Graham, I appreciate the time as always, man. Enjoy the weekend of college basketball ahead. You too. That was Graham Doran. Again, check out his work, grahamdoranbracketology.wordpress.com. You can also give him a follow on Twitter, Graham Doran, and uh, check out his podcast show on, on YouTube as well because you can get a lot of great info and tidbits there and he's uh, very responsive on, on social media if you want to you know, ask a question about somebody's resume or, or what this or that would do so we enjoy having him on the show. All right, we're going to take a time out, shift gears a little bit. Chiefs Ravens AFC Championship Preview coming up on the other side. One hour down, two to go. You're listening to RCST on KLWN, Depend on it. Hey, it's Derek Johnson from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN and despite sitting around in a studio all day, I feel loose and limber thanks to Massage Envy and their total body stretch service if you have aches from a day at the office working out maybe around a golf massage envy can help all you need to do is relax and breathe deep during the stretches and they'll take it from there it's great for your body and your mind and they also have rapid tension services and advanced skin care massage envy on 6th street in lawrence and 119th in black bob in Alatha. welcome back in to rock chalk sports talk on klwn with nick springer i'm Derek johnson and we'll get back to our KU basketball conversation coming up in the five o'clock hour. We got game picks this hour, some KU football news, and we're gonna get to the Chiefs-Ravens preview in the AFC Championship right now. We're gonna be airing that game through our Westwood One coverage on Sunday, with pregame starting at one o'clock. Chiefs will kick off against the Ravens at two o'clock. There's some very interesting injury news coming into this matchup, and sure, you know, I was thinking back through this. When you look back to the Chiefs games this season where they had more rest versus having same rest versus less rest – Okay. It was a pretty stark difference in how they performed. Remember, they had that stretch where it was like five. They played, or six yeah, they played like
2: weeks, five games in a row where the where opponent they had, had more rest.
0: Yes, and yeah. the one game where it like wasn't more rest was I think the Eagles, where they had the same rest because both had the bye. But technically, yes. the Chiefs were probably worse rest because they were coming from Germany. You know what I mean? Correct. So yeah. I mean, they they just played all that, and that coincided with their bad stretch of football. Then you flip to when they maybe had more rest which I'm trying to think who they played like after the Broncos Thursday night game if they would have had more rest there. Um, obviously, they had more rest for the division round, though, because the Bills game got moved to Monday. They ended up having two more days of rest. And, and, and obviously, the game. for the
2: Dolphins game, they, a lot of the starters didn't play yeah. the week before. So you basically had more so, rest in that game, and you, and yeah. you
0: bashed them in. This game but, is not the case. The Ravens no. had an extra day of rest, and you had a, a very physical football game. The Ravens' football game, because they were blowing them out at the end, you know, they they got to put the foot off the gas a little bit. The Chiefs had to go pedal to the metal to the very end. Yeah. And the result is a lot of players ended up getting banged up. And this is the Chiefs' out list and questionable list coming into this game. Joe Tooney, their all-pro guard, is out. Derek Noddy, who he's kind of a serviceable defensive tackle, but he's probably their best run-stopping defensive tackle. One of the better run-stoppers, yeah. He's out, and that's a problem against the best running team in the NFL. Sky Moore is out. Oh, whatever. no. Yeah, What are we going to do uh, That Sky Moore? Tega Winogo out. That one's not as huge of a deal either. Uh, the questionables are pretty important, too. Mike Edwards, who we saw get injured in, in the Bills game, and obviously with Brian concussion. Cook continuing to be out. Yeah. The concern with apparent. Mike
2: Edwards is with the concussion, basically, you know, can you clear a protocol?
0: Right. Um, Isaiah Pacheco, questionable. He's That's what I'm kind of he's expecting fine. to, to yeah, play. He's fine. He's fine. Willie Gay, that is a huge one, because when you're looking at the Chiefs' best quarterback spy,
2: it's nah, really Maybe, yeah.
0: And then uh, the other one here is Kadarius Tony, which I don't want to sound rude, but I think there are probably a lot of Chiefs fans that are like, please don't play.
2: <laughs> uh I wouldn't go that far. Okay. But well let me ask you this. Kadarius Tony more than likely would be taking similar reps that Mikol Hardman would be taking. Maybe. So would you rather see Kadarius Stoney out there getting the jet sweep or would you rather see – I
0: mean, I would prefer not to just see any of them get a jet sweep. I'm going to tell you right now,
2: Nico Hartman's going to get the ball on a play within like the first 10 plays of the game on offense. You might be right. I'm like pretty confident.
0: I can get more on board with like the jet jet sweep or screen pass to one of them if it's like midfield as opposed (laughs) to like, I don't know, in the the red zone. But anyway. yeah,
2: Yeah, I think the big question for the Chiefs, which I guess – maybe ties into the whole rest discussion a little bit that you brought up, is basically, did the Chiefs pour too much emotionally into the Bills game? Mm-hmm. Like, basically, is there enough for the Chiefs to reload the tank here to get ready for this game against the against the Ravens, right? Because in a lot of ways, that Chiefs-Bills game, it had the atmosphere, it had the intensity, it had the feel of an AFC championship-level game,
0: right? Did you know that the Chiefs have never won the next game after beating the Bills in the playoffs.
2: Well, did you see the thing where it's like the Bills actually, like games, the last step, like five yeah. seasons, the team that's beaten the Bills lost the next round. It's, a, it's not even I mean, the Chiefs. Yeah, I guess the Bengals last yeah, year. Yeah, it's not even the Chiefs. It, go, it goes beyond the Chiefs. Weird trend. It goes beyond the Chiefs. Uh, But, yeah, that's just, a, that's just a coincidence, I think. But, yeah, that to me, that I think overtakes the whole rest discussion is basically do the Chiefs, can the Chiefs reload here and get up for this game again after, like I said, it really feels like Both sides, the Bills and the Chiefs, poured so much into that game. And the atmosphere of that game, the emotion of that game, again, it had the feel of an AFC championship level game. So can the Chiefs, you know, reach back and find more for this game against the Ravens on the road again? I suspect that that the answer to that question is yes. For certain individuals, like Mahomes and probably some guys on the defense, but like can and can Travis Kelsey get up for this game and have the same impact that he had in the Bills game? Can Isaiah Pacheco, if he's questionable, have the have you know? Can he play to that level that they're going to need him to play at? So there are still some questions there, I think, for the Chiefs coming into this game against the Ravens. Uh, and as the week has gone on, I have s- s- continued to see more and more people starting to discount the Chiefs, I which I, agree with that, yeah. I like. I like that. Yeah, I agree with that. I like that. I think the line is
0: moved. It's up to four. Yeah, I Which think we'll the Chiefs later.
2: play better as an underdog. I think they want that chip on their shoulder. So I think that that's I, I think it's that's good for the Chiefs. Basically, I think it's good. Well, I think the, part of that to too is them.
0: Could be also this. Mark Andrews was activated, that and that's just a that weapon for them. That is do anything for me. See, so. it does to me because I I think of how the Chiefs might have to play defense, and they might have to use a QB spy against Lamar Jackson. He had over 100 rushing yards last week. We know Lamar's a great runner. If you have a QB spy, that's one less defender over the middle of the field, and who's a player who does well over the middle of the field? Tight ends, Mark Andrews, you know,
2: maybe. I don't know. I'm not I limited though. I don't know. I don't. Yeah, I don't expect Mark Andrews to have a significant impact. Maybe that's just me, but I, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, when, I mean, when you look at the Ravens, certainly their run offense is something that draws your attention immediately, and the fact that the Chiefs just played a game against the Bills where they give up a lot of rushing yards. But I do think that maybe factored into the Chiefs' game plan. I don't think the Chiefs expected to be gashed that much on the ground, but they their game plan was, okay, Bills, take nine minutes and go score a touchdown. Now, the problem was the Bills did do that a couple times, but that was their strategy, so they were okay with that. I'm assuming they're going to have a different strategy here against the Ravens because the Ravens are... Much more effective at that, and probably that's that could be a real issue for them.
0: Yeah, and there was an interesting article on Yahoo. I believe it was by Nate Tice, who does work with uh, Yahoo Sports and the Athletic, talking about Chris Jones. I don't, I don't know if this is a contract thing. I, I feel like it is because he, uh, he's too talented for this to happen. But a
2: significant drop off in the run defense
0: in the run defense game, specifically in the first three quarters where it's almost like he's saving himself. Chris Jones had a run stop rate of four point three percent in quarters one through three during the regular season. That is the lowest by any defensive tackle over the last two seasons. Minimum 150 snaps against the run. So he's been like the worst defensive tackle run defender in quarters one through three. But then fourth quarter, he's like, okay, I'll try. And for the entirety of the game, he's like, I'll try on pass rush. And, sure. and what they were talking about in the Yahoo Sports article is that all of his incentives, his incentives are tied into like sacks. Did but you get a better version of him because there is an incentive tied to him making the Super
2: Bowl. Exactly. There's an incentive tied to making the Super Bowl. So Chris Jones better get his happy ass out there and <laughs> and make plays in the run game. Okay. Okay. Otherwise I'm gonna be on a flight to Baltimore to be like, Hey, what the hell are you doing? Right. Get
0: get out there. What'd you say? What a million dollars? I think it's a million. I mean, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's a like million. million. I mean, yeah. I'd be trying in the run game for a million dollars. So yeah, I don't know. That, exactly. that is very interesting and, and that could actually be or, or I guess make the Chiefs run defense a little bit better. But yeah, I mean this is this is the number one rushing offense in terms of attempts, yeah. yards, they're third in yards per attempt. They're first in rushing yards per game. They're fourth in rushing touchdowns. So that becomes the big challenge, and it's it's the different ways of running. Like that's the thing that makes them so unique. You have a lot of teams that might be a power run team. You have a lot of teams who might be a finesse run team. The Ravens can do both. Lamar Jackson can speed it on the outside. Justice Hill can be a speed back. Gus yeah. Edwards can pound it up the middle. Right. They can play with fullbacks and tight ends.
2: I actually do think Lamar is vulnerable as uh, vulnerable to taking sacks. Uh, because unlike Josh Allen, I think maybe I don't know if this is like a a symptom of of Lamar trying to become better as a passer. I watch him a lot, and there are a lot of times where, and I, th- as a Ravens fan, I think this would be very frustrating to watch. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of situations where Lamar is in the pocket, and it feels like he could easily escape and use his legs, but he really he really really emphasizes trying to throw the ball still, and as a result, he tends to hold the ball and take some sacks. So I think the Chiefs actually might have a chance, if they want to bring some pressure and turn up the heat on him, that they could get to him and affect him in that way and in that manner and try to shut him down. Now, I wonder if in this game the Ravens Ravens don't go to Lamar and say, hey, Lamar, if nobody's open, run. That's what you're the best at. Run. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. We'll see what kind of approach they have. But I just noticed that, especially in the the Texans game, actually Lamar took a couple bad sacks uh, where that was a situation where it felt like he could have ran. And instead, he it seemed like he really wanted to try to throw the ball, and that didn't happen, and then he got sacked. So I don't know. We'll see if that happens again in this game. I noticed that against the Texans, and then again with Lamar Jackson, the narrative has always been, "Can he do it in the playoffs? Prove it in the playoffs." That narrative is on the line this week. It really is against the Texans. You were you were the better team. You you beat them. You know, it wasn't Lamar didn't beat the Texans. The Ravens beat the Texans. Right. Yes. This is a game where you figure Lamar is going to have to make plays in order for for the Ravens to win. Right. Can he do that? Yeah. Can he do that? I'm not saying he can't. I'm just saying I'm just posing the question. Can he? Well, and just in general, like you were just talking about the sack
0: thing there. One of the things that Lamar has typically actually struggled with in the past has been against blitzes. But in that game against the Texans, he was actually great against the Blitz. And that's interesting because Spags likes to Blitz a lot for the Chiefs, you know? He likes to send pressure. Um, but it, it, if you don't get there with the initial rush on the Blitz, it leaves you vulnerable because you don't have anybody back and, and the quarterback can just scramble free. So I'll be very interested to see how Spags approaches this and how the Chiefs approach this from a defensive perspective and a game-planning perspective. But the, the thing with the Ravens, like, the, this has been a juggernaut this season. I mean, let's oh, not 13-4. Sure. Uh, I mean, they were 13 and 3 before they just benched their players in the last week.
2: They they blew out all the other good playoff right. teams.
0: I mean, okay, week 1 they played the Texans, beat them 25 to 9, you know? They wanted Cincinnati with Joe Burrow. They, they smoked they, the
2: Niners. They beat they the Browns the in the regular
0: season 28 to 3. Yeah, the Lions they smoked 38 they, to 6.
2: They smoked the Dolphins.
0: Seahawks 37 to 3. That was a near playoff
2: team. Which this that's all fine and dandy. You know who they didn't play in the regular season? Chiefs. The Kansas City yeah, Chief. 33
0: to 19 over the 49ers, 56 to 19 over the Dolphins. This and that is, Niners this game, really it game. was actually
2: worse. It was it was 33 to thirty-three to 12. Yeah, because Sam Darnold had like a, a garbage time touchdown. Yeah. 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 So I mean, th- this is a true juggernaut, and this
0: is the ultimate, like, this, this feels a lot like, except the Chiefs are on the other foot, and uh, Patrick Mahomes isn't in the twilight of his career. He's no longer 40 years old like, like this was. But this to me does have a little bit of a feel of that twenty. It would have been 2018 AFC Championship game oh, where Chiefs, the Chiefs, Chiefs were hosting against Chiefs the Patriots, Patriots with with 40 uh, year old Tom Brady and that Patriots team wasn't a great Patriots. I mean, they won the Super Bowl, so like the Super Bowl winner. <laughs> I don't mean to say they weren't a good team. I mean to say compared to some other Patriots teams that we saw during that dynasty. That was on the lower end. That's how this Chiefs team is, right? This Chiefs team could still win a Super Bowl, but when we look back on it, we won't say they were as good as last year's team or the oh, one yeah. from twenty twenty. You know what I mean?
2: No, actually, when when you look at the Patriots, I mean, some of their best teams actually didn't win the right. Super Bowl. They lost right? earlier on, right? Yeah. They lost. I mean, lost, the I mean think the about the Jets. Then something something like the season, that. they lose to the Giants. Yeah, you know, like, exactly. There's they, they had seasons where they were really good
0: and didn't win. And you're hosting an AFC championship team, a Championship game for the first time ever, which is what the Chiefs were doing in 2018. This is, oddly enough, the first time ever that the Ravens have hosted an AFC championship game. Weird, because wow. you've thought of them as being, you know, they've won multiple Super Bowls and they've gone to many AFC championship games. But oddly enough, this is their first huh. hosting there. And you have the veteran quarterback coming in. You have the guy who is is basically the, the, the now GOAT, then Tom Brady, now Patrick Mahomes. And there is a little bit of that to me where I'm like... Is Mahomes just going to find a way to yeah. eke them through here, you yeah. know? Yeah, I think so. It's weird. We were talking about this earlier this week. I don't know if you still feel this way. I kind of do feel this way. What's that? I kind of feel like this is going to be a – like, I. I think if the Ravens do beat the Chiefs, I think they beat them, like, not on a last-second field goal. I think they beat them in a way where it's like – the Ravens just overpowered the Chiefs. The Ravens beat the Chiefs because they were just such a better team. I mean, and their listen, defense is so dominant that's that how they beat, over them. That's right? how they beat everybody else. Yeah, that they beat them thirty-one to seventeen, and that this didn't become about Lamar versus Patrick. It just right. became about the Ravens are just that much better than the Chiefs.
2: And that's best case for the Ravens. Yes, right. Because again, if this is a one possession game in the fourth quarter, who are you taking? Who are you, t- are you, are you taking? Lamar? Or are you taking Patrick Mahomes? Mm-hmm. I know who I'm
0: taking. Yeah. I know who a lot of people are taking. Well, I, I think that's a very interesting matchup, too. When you look at the Chiefs' offense, this Ravens' defense, number one in the NFL in, in points allowed. They're number one in the NFL in turnovers on defense, which that had been a problem for the Chiefs up until these last few games in the playoffs so far. Yeah. Uh, they stopped the run at a good level. They stopped the pass at a good level. Yeah. They are uh, first in net yards per attempt against the pass. They are only 25th in yards allowed per attempt, though, running. So – that's where I think this could come down. If the Chiefs are committed to running the ball, if Isaiah Pacheco has a big game, I, I think they win this game.
2: Yeah, um, and uh, first of all, Pacheco, come on. Please. Yeah, Pacheco, so as, some, as so Andy Reid says. Sh-
0: yes. Show some Sorry. respect.
2: Yeah, it is interesting. I do think the discourse around this game has been largely centered on the Ravens' offense versus the Chiefs' defense. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that's just because people are maybe just kind of assuming, oh, the Chiefs' offense is fixed, so they're going to have some success. You're playing a really, really strong defense. But... Think about this. The Chiefs, especially during the Super Bowl runs, during those Super Bowl runs, how many times have they had to overcome the supposed best defense in the league? A lot of times, right? You go back to like that Bills defense they played against yeah. a couple years ago. Best defense in the league. Even the Eagles defense last year. People were like, oh, this Eagles defense is great. Yeah, oh, the Eagles defense, defense is so good. From, uh, the 49ers 2020, in 2020 yeah. and uh, 2020, yeah. right? They've had the, the Chiefs have had to go through, quote-unquote, the best defenses every year, and it's going to be no different right with the ravens
0: mm-hmm.
2: but with the chiefs offense i think they'll probably still have some success uh i am a little nervous about it but listen what did i what did i come in here and say after the uh, after the dolphins game or even even before the dolphins game the chiefs are a defensive football team play to your identity yeah. play to your defense they might. They might need to do that here against the Ravens, right? And yeah, this is I mean, a game where if, if seventeen to ten might be good. Exactly. For the Chiefs. And know. this is a game where if it does turn into a defensive struggle, it's a battle of the defenses. I'm taking the Chiefs. I'm taking the Chiefs. It's a weird thing to say, isn't it? I'm, I'm being dead serious. Taking the Chiefs. Well, I mean, I'll take the Chiefs no matter what. But I'm taking the Chiefs. <laughs> okay, so the Chiefs win if what? I think the Chiefs win if they force Lamar to make plays. And that sounds like maybe antithetical to what you would want to do with a great quarterback, with a, a guy that's been a great quarterback in Lamar Jackson. But again, I I don't, I'm skeptical of, of Lamar in the playoffs. Still, I, I'm skeptical. I really am. And that's not a knock against Lamar. He's a, definitely a, a fantastic player. But I'm skeptical of how he will respond if he is put in a situation where it's make a play or your season is done. Because in the past, his seat. Guess what? His season's been done. Okay. <laughs> So I actually think that the Chiefs should try to do that, and I think the key for the Chiefs, and that's and that's if that's what they want to try to do, is to get off to a quick start, right? Put Lamar down early. That'll do two things. Number one, it should help you eliminate the running game, the running threat a little bit for the Ravens if they're down. And number two, again, it'll it, it puts the ball in Lamar's hands to make a play. And can Lamar make a play? Mm-hmm. I know it sounds like that that strategy is maybe kind of playing with fire a little bit, and I I understand that, but. I think that's what you need to do, truly. Sure. I think that's fair. Uh, so I have a couple here. One,
0: the Tooney being out is is very hurtful against a team who is just really good, you know? And so sure. or, or really good on defense and everything. And going back to the idea that I think the Chiefs need to be able to run the ball and can a bit in this game if if they do it. Uh, like there are some games where, where they gave up some big rushing totals. Uh, They gave up 178 to the Browns in a loss. They gave up 155 to the Steelers in a loss. Gave up 154 to the Dolphins. That was a win. They gave up 139 to the Colts. In games where they gave up um, 130 rushing yards or more, they were only 2-3, and you know? And that's a little scary that you don't have your best offensive lineman in Joe Tooney. So here's my Chiefs win if what? Nick Allegretti plays a solid game. If yeah. Nick Allegretti
2: plays a solid well, game, in the rest of the line it up with him. I feel good about Nick Allegretti as a run blocker. It's in the pass game where you might have some issues.
0: Yeah. But maybe that's enough. The other thing here is, and this goes, it's just running the ball to me, which is crazy in a game where you have 2 uh, the last two MVP quarterbacks. Um, if the Chiefs hold the Ravens to 125 yards or less rushing, I think you feel great about it. In games where the Ravens ran for 125 or less, they're two and three. In games where they didn't, they won every game but one. So. <laughs> I, if you can stop the run, because I, I think that even though the Ravens actually do have kind of a, a pretty good underrated receiving core, I think Zay Flowers is a really good player. Odell Beckham is a solid if he's your, you know, number two. That's, that's fine enough. Uh, Rashad Bateman is doing some things for them. Even Nelson Nelson Aguilar, even though he'll have like one killer drop, he, he's overall a pretty good player. I, got, I,
2: I like Isaiah Likely a
0: lot. Yeah, Isaiah Likely and, and Mark Andrews, that's our stud one-two tight end group. Like, yeah. those are six legit targets you have to throw to. But I love the Chiefs' DBs to kind of x those out. Yeah. So just stop yeah. the run, stop the run, and run the ball, and you win this game. I know that sounds stupid in a Patrick Mahomes' game. I think that's that's must uh, be though. H B. Yeah, and that's dive. the other thing. Will Andy Reid be committed enough to it and be willing to run normal runs as opposed to McCall Hardman runs? H B dive, thing. come on. All right, we're gonna take a timeout. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We'll pick that pick that game and others in our game picks coming up later in the show. You're listening to RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. It's that time of the week on Rock Chalk Sports Talk for game picks of the biggest games ahead from this weekend.
1: what well, that sounds great. And you know what? It'll be nice having a little extra cash to bet on college football.
0: Right here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Yeah, I'd like to bet 100 bucks.
2: You want to pick a team?
0: No, just take it. Time for our game picks of the week. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. We'll get to our KU game picks, Rock Chalk, Pickahawk, and some Bill Self audio coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Don't forget, we got high school basketball at you tonight. Veritas Christian Hope hosting Mission Valley at 7.30 here on KLWN. So overall in the uh, season of football, you've gone 117-96-6, and six, which means uh, you are guaranteed to finish above 500. You were 56-36-3 nice. in the NFL. You went 4-0 last week. How about that?
2: Yeah, I was feeling good about my NFL picks.
0: I mean, while For good I'm, reason. Yeah, 111-103-5, so also guaranteed to finish above five hundred. I had a bad week last week. 1-3 last week, 52-41-2 and two overall in the NFL. So
2: there's only two games
0: to pick from. First up, Kansas City at Baltimore. The Ravens are minus four points.
2: Yeah, I mean, if you were listening to the Chiefs segment, Chiefs, uh, <laughs> I'm big at the Chiefs. I like Kansas City. I like Mahomes over, over Lamar Jackson. I think if it's a close game late, Lamar Jackson will fold, mm. and Patrick Mahomes will rise up and lead the Chiefs to another Super Bowl. So uh, I like the Chiefs here. Uh, again, I, I feel I actually I actually like I feel confident if this turns into more of a defensive battle, uh, because I think again if it's a defensive battle and both defenses are playing well, I like Mahomes to make enough plays more than I do Lamar Jackson to push the Chiefs over the edge. Uh, I do have concerns about the ground game for the Ravens, but uh, I think the Chiefs will be able to overcome that. I think Pacheco will have a nice game. I think Travis Kelsey will be able to reach back and find enough to, to get the Chiefs over the hump. Uh, I mentioned it. I think the the big factor for me was, do the Chiefs have enough left emotionally after the Bills game? I think, yes, they do. I think they will have a chip on their shoulder because everyone seems to be seemingly riding them off here and, and, and uh, leaning Ravens. I will take the Kansas City Chiefs plus four, and I'll take them outright.
0: You know, you mentioned uh, Travis Kelsey there. I, honestly that's one of the the more interesting matchups of the game. Kyle Hamilton's been one of the best safeties in the NFL. And if he can kind of eliminate Travis Kelsey a little bit, I guess what what's your confidence level that like MVS is going to do what he did last game? He did in the AFC Championship oh, 10 last out of 10. year, so maybe. 10 okay. out of 10.
2: I have all the confidence in the world in MVS. Okay. I really
0: do. The Chiefs to have make had one
2: catch. More than that, I
0: don't know. Yeah, the Chiefs have had two strike games where they have avoided the dumb turnovers. Well, they, did, they didn't avoid the dumb turnovers against the Bills. They fell out oh, of the bag so. in the end zone. I guess that's true. But still, what, is that their only turnover in
2: the two games? No, they, uh, well, yeah, they didn't turn over against the Dolphins. They fumbled again against the Bills, didn't they? Yeah, but I
0: think they picked it up.
2: Okay. So, I mean, one
0: turnover in two games, that is off pace for the Chiefs. Now, are we just to say that they're more laser-focused in because it's the postseason, or... Or they do to have one of their normal turnover games from what they've had so far this season. Because the Ravens are the number one team in the NFL in forcing turnovers. You know?
1: Yeah.
0: And that's got to be a little bit worrisome in this game. I think the Ravens either blow it out or the Chiefs win it. I think it's a close game, I think the Chiefs come out on top. I think it's the Patrick Mahomes effect. I think the more you go deeper into the game and it's a close game, the more you have to believe if you're the Chiefs, the more you get nervous if you're a Baltimore Raven, right? Sure. I guess my worry here is that they're just going to be so overpowering in so many ways. You know, be, without yeah. Joe Tooney, what if the Chiefs' offensive line just gets beat up? Right? They have I mean, the good matchup.
2: They're just going to get annihilated because there's no Joe Tooney.
0: Well, I mean, they have the good matchup with Kyle Hamilton to at least make things a lot harder on Travis Kelsey. You what think? if the Chiefs' receivers kind of go back to being a pumpkin, so to speak, with MVS from from what he was? I, I guess, mean, yeah. I mean, week, listen, we
2: we watched them beat potatoes with arms for mm-hmm. you know most of the season, of the season. right? <laughs> So it's not uh, that
0: far-fetched. And then on the defensive side of the ball, what if the Ravens just grind him into pulp? They can't stop. Because we saw Josh Allen run all over him in the first half. We saw the Bills run all over him for the first like three quarters of the game. What if the Ravens run for 200 yards? What if Lamar can't be stopped on on those critical third downs when he's just running all over him? You know, possibly without Willie Gay, who could be your best QB spy option. Uh, partially down in the secondary at the safety position without you know Mike Edwards, which you're already down. Brian Cook. I'm wondering if the attrition is going to start to wear down this week. You're playing on Definitely one extra good. day, or they're playing on one extra day's rest. You have all those injuries. They're a team who plays physical football. They're playing at home. You have the emotional letdown that you kind of talked about after the uh, Bills game. I think it would be natural to, to see something happening. I, I could see the Ravens winning this one like 27-13. to 13. So, Man. I'm going to go Baltimore. Wow. Just the four points. Wow, Detroit is that San Francisco the
2: 49ers are minus 7 in the NFC Championship game. Yeah, you want to talk about emotional letdowns. I mean, Detroit winning a playoff game at home and what that meant for them, right? Uh pretty pretty remarkable winning now two playoff games back to back at home. Well, now you got to go on the road. Can they do that on the road? Can they get up on the road? But do you now, view The thing the is, is, like the Niners like, are not yeah. that good. I don't, well, well, I mean, they I was are. Good, say, but do they're... you view
0: their home field as like a huge advantage?
2: No, like, but it's not so much that the Niners' home field is a big advantage as much as it is just the Lions not playing at home. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. It's it's not having the advantage yourselves. Yes, but as you know, I don't think the Niners are very good. Brock Turdy sucks. Uh, so I don't know. We'll see. He's been he's been carried by everybody else. I don't know what Debo. Sta- I don't know what Debo Samuel's status is. I actually didn't get a chance to, to see. What, questionable. What his uh, status is. Yeah, so that could be a big loss. Man, I'm gonna go with Detroit. I don't know. I mean, it just it sounds crazy to say the Detroit Lions are going to be playing in a Super Bowl. Doesn't that does that not just sound crazy to say out loud? I know it. Considering does. where they've come from,
0: it absolutely
2: does. I mean, they were the KU football of the NFL for a while there. 0 16. Really bad. Not good. So, and is like, is Jared Goff the guy to take them? I mean, I know he's been to one Super Bowl before, but I don't know. i would take the Lions. I don't – I think they'll cover. I just don't know if they're going to win. I don't know. I mean, I can all see them collapsing, though, so this one's tough for me. This one's tough. Seven is. is a lot of points, though. It
0: is. I do think is uh, okay, so, like, the Lions' defense has not been, like, a great defense this year. They haven't been horrible, but they have uh, – That's been more of a weak spot for them. But they have done really well stopping the run. And it's the secondary that you worry about. They're 27th in the NFL in in passing yards allowed. They're 29th in in net yards per attempt passing. So the the passing defense has not been good. But when you think about the 49ers, what scares me most playing San Francisco and Kyle Shanahan is are they going to run all over you? Is Christian McCaffrey going to have 100 yards? And how is that going to set up the passing game? If you can stop the run... Their passing game is mostly built off of play action and and going off that run, right? And the Lions' defense is actually third in the NFL in yards allowed per carry and second in the NFL in rushing yards allowed. So, like, they've actually been good against the run. I think that helps you in this matchup, right? So, I think they can make it close at the very least. I think seven points is too many. I'm going to take the Lions. I don't know who I think wins the game,
2: to be completely honest. I'm in the same boat.
0: You do have the... uh, like if you're just talking experience, Jared Goff is more experienced in these games. Sure. It's kind of interesting. In yeah. just playoff games, he's played more of them in an NFC Championship game, which he won. Um, you also look at this is a homecoming for Jared Goff. He's from Northern California. He went yeah. to Cal Berkeley, which is up in Northern California. Yeah. Uh, he was he was playing for a, a team in Los Angeles in California before he got traded away. Right, playing in this very division. And I, I want to say when they did they. Did they beat the 49ers to go to the Super Bowl in the playoffs? With the year that they lost to the Patriots? No, that was the Saints. Just kidding. That was the Saints on the, the pass interference. Yeah. That goal. Yeah. But I don't know, man. He's experienced. He's had a great season. Um I do think that as much talent as the 49ers have on the defensive line, we haven't really seen that bear out over the last handful of weeks to them, you know, forcing a lot of pressure. I can see this being a shootout. I can see this being a high-scoring game. I could see it being a ton of fun. I think Detroit at least keeps and it close. Give me the Lions plus seven.
2: Brock Turdy comes in and maybe drops the turtle.
0: It is going to be uh, good weather, so I think that's good for both quarterbacks because both quarterbacks are more yeah. good weather quarterbacks. Both have like smaller. Oh, wait, hands. we didn't talk about it's it. Gonna the Seventy Chiefs degrees. Game.
2: It's going to be rainy in the Chiefs game.
0: Yeah, it's, well, it's supposed to be rainy in in Santa Clara on Saturday and then like Monday. So I guess hypothetically, weather could change and it could be rainy and that could impact mm-hmm. things in a different way. Uh, what is your NFL lock of the week? You are eleven and eight. I am nine and ten.
2: I'm doubling down on the Kansas City Chiefs, baby. Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, can I take them? I can just take them out, right? can I?
0: You could, but why would you? Wouldn't? Don't you want plus
2: four? Yeah, I guess it's. I don't get any. It, this is not like I'm betting on You're not, better yeah. odds. You're not
0: getting. Yeah, exactly. You're not getting better at all. It, It's you win or you lose. Okay, I'll take a plus take four. I'm, plus I'm four. doubling down. I'm
2: doubling okay. down on Patrick LeVon Mahomes to go into the bank. That's what they call their stadium, the bank, and rob him blind. And come away with the AFC title. Yeah,
0: where's uh, X Factor when you need him? No,
2: it's it's Chiefs Hall. Chiefs Hawks, Sorry, X Factor's the guy that uh, got in a fight guy. and thought right. he got shot. Yeah, and like they interviewed <laughs> him after he came out of the hospital, he was like,
0: "Oh, ah, oh, yeah, he's hurt." So I'm gonna you know, go Baltimore, Kansas City under 44 and a half. I think this is a, this is a line that that books are trying to get you to take because your your immediate thought is 44 and a half, 24, 21, easy over. You have, you have the last two MVPs. Yeah, could be. But the Ravens have the number one defense in the NFL. Chiefs have a top—I I don't know—five defense. Yeah, top five defense in the NFL. I think this is going to be a lower scoring game. I think both teams are going to try to establish the run a little bit. I my my initial score prediction was like twenty-four to thirteen, or 27-13, something like that. Both yeah. those would be under. I could also yeah. see being like the Chiefs win the game twenty to seventeen, you know, or seventeen to fourteen. All of those scores are under. My score like prediction under.
2: is Chiefs four twenty, Baltimore sixty nine. Chiefs Chiefs win.
0: Aha, got him. Okay, college basketball. You're seven, six, and two. I'm eight, five, and two. First up, we have we're going to go all Big Twelve this week. Kansas State is at number four. Houston. This is crazy considering both teams are technically tied. I guess second because Texas Tech's four and one uh, yeah. in the Big Twelve. Houston is minus fourteen and a half.
2: Yeah, Ken Palm actually has this line all the way at at seventeen. Ooh. And uh, yeah, this is a line that to me, it's begging. You just talked about the over/under in the the Chiefs uh, Ravens game. This is a line that's begging you to pick Kansas State. Right? Begging you. So I'm going the other direction. I'm taking Houston. Give me the give me Houston here. I think I think they'll take care of business. Kansas State's gonna be so caught up in oh, are they spying on us? What's going on? Everybody's spying on nah, nah. They're just better. Houston's just better. They're just gonna they're just gonna beat you straight up. Give me Houston. So I was looking at at something that I found kind of interesting.
0: Because I was looking at Houston's defense on Kenpa. It's the number one defense in the country. And, like, they're, yeah. they're the best. Like, normally if you see a team's number one on defense, it's like Iowa State's third on defense. It's because they, they do have one thing one thing elite, yeah. and then they do a couple other things well. Yeah, Houston does everything elite. They are first in effective field goal percentage defense, third in turnover defense, fifth in three-point defense, first in two-point defense, third in free-throw defense. That seems like luck. First in block defense, second in steal defense, 31st in non-steal defense. Uh, turnover defense. So, like, they're just elite at everything. But one thing I was looking at here the assist to field goal made rate against them is 362nd uh, in the country at 65.3. Wow. But So, it's like opposite on the defensive side, where that means that like every shot that's made against them is assisted. So, I don't know if that's helpful so for like a team like KU, I guess. KU, yeah, I, have guess. Have good
2: passing, yeah.
0: I don't think about that being the case for K State. I feel like they're a bunch of ISO players. Like, I feel like. Can be, yeah. I feel like uh, Perry, Tyler Perry. He's Columa, ISO Kaluma likes to take ISO, right? Like, it's a bunch of guys who make a lot of ISO shots. I guess they are 33rd though in assists per field goal rate offensively. Mm. So, I don't know. Numbers tell me something different than the eyes do. Uh, I guess I'll go K State. I just this just goes in line with my rule. Big 12 over the last few seasons. You're giving me like eight or more points. I'm taking the eight or more points like every time. That's fair. I'll That's take fair. the Wildcats plus 14 and a half. Number 20 Texas Tech is at number 11 Oklahoma Sooners or
2: minus four. Yeah, this is an interesting line. Uh, I mean, okay. If we are ranking the Big 12 atmospheres, Mm -hmm. Oklahoma is last, right? They have the worst home court in the Big 12, right?
0: Well, I think it depends who they're playing. You know what I mean? Like, there are certain – like, okay. Uh, I don't know, man. Oklahoma State, when they play certain teams, that one's really bad. When they play like Kansas, usually they fill out, although Dude, they even, didn't this year. As I was saying, even Kansas this
2: year, they didn't yeah. have hardly anybody there. I guess I, I probably would go Oklahoma, though, yes. They, they got the worst, right? Probably, yeah. So, I'm going to go with the the road team here. I'm going to go with Texas Tech. Texas Tech plus the four. I think Texas Tech... Uh, I actually... Texas Tech's been... They've been impressive. I have, I'm have i having a hard time deciding if they're actually good or not, but I think uh, they're, they're good enough here. Give me Texas Tech. I think Oklahoma's going to fall back a little bit.
0: I think this could be a bit of a trap line to people see... Okay, Texas Tech is first in the Big Twelve right now. Why are they getting four points? You know, I mean I Oklahoma's
2: know. ranked eleventh. Yeah, Texas Tech twenty.
0: I guess. I'm I'm just gonna take the Sooners minus four. Okay, I like what uh Porter Moser. Trust Porter Moser. Texas is at BYU, twenty first ranked Cougars are giving up seven and a half.
2: I'm taking Texas here. Uh, Texas has a lot of talent. The problem with BYU that like, we've talked about it. I mean, when you mm-hmm. just chuck threes. Like you may, I mean, a B, BYU can easily win this game by double digits if if yes. they're lights out. But even if they're off for even a even a small section of the game, I like Texas to at least cover uh, on the road. So I'll take uh, I'll take the fighting Gus Frings. <laughs> Give me Texas.
0: I'm gonna go Texas too. Uh, this is same in line with like just too many points. I also think it's it's more points than it needs to be because. Texas is playing better than where they were at the beginning of, of Big 12 play and in, in, in yeah. some of their non-con. And BYU,
2: metrically, is still really high. Right. Even though maybe, again, it's fool's school a little bit, I think.
0: I think this should be closer to a four or five point line. Give me Texas as well. TCU is at number 15. Baylor, the Bears are minus five and a half. And if you try to watch this game, you will feel like you were in the nosebleeds.
2: Yeah, because Baylor's got the camera angle that it feels like you're literally on the roof. Looking yes. straight down. It's horrible. Uh, maybe, you know, listen. It never ceases to amaze me when people build like press boxes or stadiums and they don't or think stuff. About that stuff. They don't consider extremely common sense things like what kind of camera angle you're going to have. Mhm. So because of that alone, no I'm just kidding. But I am going to take <laughs> I'm going to take TCU. I like TCU. Uh, I think they can be aggressive and maybe force Baylor into a lot of turnovers. Baylor it just doesn't feel like Baylor's guards really mesh very well with their play styles right now. I don't know how they solve that. I'm going to take TCU. Baylor has
0: not been a great defensive team over the course of the season. It's gotten better in conference-only games, and oddly enough, the offense has dropped in conference-only games because it was completely opposite in um, non-conference play. I just I, I think TCU has the goods. I, I, I like them against a team who isn't the best guarding team overall. And if Baylor even has any let-up, they're 62nd in adjusted defensive efficiency in the country. I think TCU can make this uh, a high-scoring game and at least make it close. Give me the five and a half. UCF at Cincinnati. Cincinnati minus six and a half. Gotta go quick on this one. I'm going with Cincinnati. I'm just gonna go UCF. I don't know. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Twice down. One to go. That's our game picks. Let's get to our KU basketball game picks and Rock Shark Pickahawk next. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is RCST on KLWN. Depending on it. Five o'clock hour. This is Rock Shock Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Uh, we'll get you some Bill Self audio coming up in our next segment of the show. Don't forget you can check out anything you miss on our show with the best of RCST podcasts anywhere you get your podcasts including at KUSports.com our podcast is brought to you by Massage Envy. We have high school basketball tonight, Veritas Christian versus Mission Valley, 730 tip, 720 pregame. I'll be on the call with Craig Hershizer. Tomorrow we have KU men's basketball at 11 o'clock pregame, 1230 tip that one right here on KLWN and our sister station 105.9 KISS then the rest of this action will be on KLWN, KU Women's Basketball at 6 o'clock, pregame 545 on Saturday, and Westwood 1 coverage of the AFC and NFC Championship games on Sunday, with that starting at 1 o'clock. All right, got to get our Rock Chalk pick-a-hawk in. I now have the first pick. I am 15-7. and 7. Mm. You are dwindling behind at 7-15. and 15.
2: Plenty, plenty time
0: left. I am willing to make this one worth no. double wins. No, Top 25 matchup? No. No? No. All right, no. give you the option. I'm going to come back the hard way. The uh, rules are one point for every point your player scores, two points for every rebound and assist they get, three points for every block and steal they get, and you lose a point for every minute played. I have the first pick here. I've thought long and hard about this. I, I, I know mean. we mentioned last time that you had Hunter Diggins at first, and he had the first time where he had, like, oh, yeah. zero points or something like that in, in the second in half. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, and pick-off. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. and pick-off. Pick-off. And uh, I, I said, well, I'm excited that I'll get the bounce-back game, but the more I think about this, Iowa State does not give up shots at the rim. Mm. I'm going to go with Kevin McCuller. They give up wow. a lot of
2: three-point opportunities.
0: I think mm. Kevin has himself a big game for KU.
2: Interesting, interesting. Well, uh, I guess that leaves me with an obvious pick, Johnny Furphy. No, I'm just kidding. I'll no. take a, no, I'm just kidding. I'll take Hunter Dickinson. <laughs> Hunter Dickinson, my first pick. I think you should let Hunter fall to me in the round, second round. With my second pick, I actually will take Johnny Furphy. Mm. Johnny Furphy. Give, give give it to me. Okay. Johnny Furphy. Yep. I do
0: like that, and that's the same idea that, you know, they give up a lot of threes. Who's going to take a lot of threes? Kevin and Johnny. So that brings me to my next one. I'm going to go with KJ Adams. You know, KJ's rebounding numbers have dipped off a, a little bit the past few games. I do think there is a bit of a correlation between Furphy being in the starting lineup and that happening because think about it. There's only so many rebounds Murphy, to go around, yeah. right?
2: is definitely a better rebounder. Now,
0: day. ideally, they need to do a better job rebounding overall, so you'd like to see everybody raise their rebounding total. But sure. if you only have, say, 30 rebounds to go around, and if Hunter's taken eight of them, and Murphy's taken seven of them. Could be, yeah. And then Kevin's taken six of them. And then you have a handful that just go to like guards and bench players. That only leaves you with four to be had, you know. And again, you you want more offensive rebounds and, and opportunities. But I I could see him playing well in this game. Iowa State has given up a lot of two point opportunities overall in the season. In conference play, they have not uh, mid range shots. I guess you, I should say. So maybe in the mid range a little bit, a little bit of KJ Adams. We've seen in the KJ past, Adams jumper. Maybe. We've seen in the past Woo. some games where KJ has been pivotal in that short roll and then kicking out to guys to shoot threes against Iowa State specifically. I'll take KJ Adams here. I think he has a, a nice game for KU. Oh, I have another pick. Um, would yeah, you like you to tell me who you're going to pick, though, so then I can no. decide who I want? No. No, okay. I'm not going to tell you who i want to pick. No. Right, I'm going to go with Parker Brown. My guy. Wow. Back home. Back home. Wow.
2: Wow. Uh, you know what? This may not be a smart pick. Give me Dewan Harris. Dewan Harris. Dewan and only. He's he's gonna be under a lot of pressure in this game, uh, with the ball in his hands, probably a lot trying to run the offense. I am banking, I'm betting on Dewan Harris. He's gonna figure it out. Things are gonna click for him. I, I think I think he might have a good game here. Uh, I think he might be able to facilitate, maybe even get involved scoring wise. You mentioned the three point shooting. This might be a game where they dare DeWan to shoot. And uh, you know, people forget how quickly people forget the KU Kentucky game. Chapin's classic. DeWan Harris, five threes. Could he have that again? I'm not saying he could, but maybe. It's possible. So I'll go DeJuan Harris. least with my last pick here. Oh, geez. I mean, I just got – my options are clown one, clown two, <laughs> clown three. It's all the same. I'll, I'll take Nick Timberlake.
0: Okay, Nick Timberlake.
2: Uh, I do think – I mean, going back to the idea,
0: they give up a lot of threes. I think Nick Timberlake could get off two, three, four threes in this game. The okay. question is, does, does he, he make him? them? right? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go Jamari McDowell. I, I think there's too much risk in a game like
2: this without Marco Jackson. Yeah. Young well, freshman
0: on the road, team who turns it over. We
2: talked about it. He, if he plays 15 minutes with two points, mm-hmm. a rebound, an assist, that's guaranteed negative 10 points, mm-hmm. pick points.
0: I could even see this being a game where Bill Self plays Dewan Harris like 40 minutes to try to deal with the pressure. Yeah. You know? yeah, I think so. So, I don't know. That might be bad for you. I will say this. So here's the Pickhawk teams. I have Yo. McCuller, Adams, Brown, and McDowell. You have Dickinson, Furphy, Harris, and Timberlake. If you win Pickhawk, I think KU wins the game. Oh, for sure. Because Dewan Harris will be playing yeah. well. He'll be Hunter big, Dickinson, yeah. if he has a big game, that means that they were able to get the ball inside despite Iowa State doing a good job avoiding that. Yeah, DeWan Harris was hitting some threes. Timberlake was hitting some threes. So I'm actually rooting for your team in this one. <laughs> well, thank you.
2: You're welcome. Yeah, Dewan Harris is the crutch of the equation
0: here. Yeah. All right, uh, KU basketball game picks. You are 28-23-1. and one. I am 33-18-1. and one. Is this the first time all year Kansas has been getting points? They're getting three and a half. Uh, Because they were favored against Marquette in the loss. I think they were favored against UConn, right? It was like minus two and a half, three and a half. Yeah, they were definitely favored against UConn. I think this is the first time they've been getting points this year.
2: Mm, Yeah, because they they were favored against West Virginia, favored against UCF, Mm -hmm. favored against Oklahoma State. Could be. Yeah, could
0: be. Kentucky, they were favored. Could I mean, be. if they would have played Purdue in the Maui Invitational title, they might have been, underdogs, have been dogs, but that didn't happen. Yeah, they would have they were been favored dogs, against probably. Tennessee, so yeah, yeah, I think this is the first time they're dogs. Well, Which could be a good thing because they have not
2: done well as a favorite. No, they haven't. I'm taking Kansas. Give me Kansas here, plus three and a half. Uh, I like I like Kansas to come in and uh, maybe silence the Ames crowd a little bit. I hope we see Jim Carrey guy because I I actually he he was he was pointing to Jerome Tang, signaling he should be crying. I want to see Jim Carrey guy actually crying when KU beats them. In Ames. Yeah. So I, I think back I the way I think this goes, I think either Iowa State beats Kansas
0: like handedly or Kansas wins the game. Last year, Iowa State crushed Kansas. It was sixty eight to fifty three. Uh you go back to the twenty nineteen game. They won seventy eight to sixty. Well, hang on, hang
2: on. That's not fair to say. It was that last year's game, it was Iowa State versus Jalen Wilson. Yes,
0: it was. That's very <laughs> true. And honestly, I'm surprised it was even that close. Um, but I'm gonna go with Kansas here plus three and a half. This is a huge game for them. High level importance, playing on the road. Yeah. Bill Give Self me finds points away. with Kansas and Bill Self. I mean, is Bill Self gonna post-game?
2: lose to a frat guy?
0: No, he's not. The over under is one forty three. I, I think I, I would be willing to lock this up and I think you feel the same way, right?
2: Yeah, I'm going under here. Yeah. Uh it I mean, Iowa State's got one of the best. The Johnny Furphy bet? Down under? Sure. Get it? Fine. Yeah, whatever. Over under? Under? You might need to work out. Down under? Down. Uh-huh. Might need to work uh-huh. shop ha. <laughs> <laughs> I need to work shop down a little bit. Uh yeah, I know I'm going under here uh with Iowa State's defense. Even if Kansas is able to have some success offensively and Iowa State doesn't turn them over a lot. I still don't think that this is going to be a game where it's going to be, you know, 75 to 70, 70, you know, and 143, you're gonna to need to get both teams probably into the 70s here. I don't think that's gonna happen, so I'll take under.
0: Yeah, I mean I was just looking back at the past games. Okay, so last year the totals were one twenty-nine and one twenty-one. Um the year before that the totals were one twenty-two and one thirty-one. And, uh, oh wait, I, I'm sorry, I, I missed one of them. And 123, because one of the years they played in the Big 12 title. So for the five games you have played against Iowa State with T.J. Otzelberger, it has at most been 131. Yeah, double digits under. I feel like this is. is way too much. Pound to yeah. the under.
2: Does Vegas know something? We'll Maybe. Uh, what's your favorite prop? Favorite prop bet, uh, I'm going to go with Johnny Furphy over rebounds, actually. Over five and a half rebounds. Uh, I think he'll need to be active on the glass, and I think he is going to be active on the glass. Uh, and he's done such a great job of crashing offensive boards, especially for Kansas, getting them second-chance opportunities. I like Johnny Furphy being aggressive here. I don't think he will be too scared of the Ames crowd. I will go with Johnny Furphy over five a free rebounds. I like the rebounds
0: on Furphy. I'm just going to total it all together. Furphy over 18.5 points plus rebounds plus assists. He should get some three looks. He should get some rebound opportunities. Give me that one with Furphy. And it's plus money. It's plus 105 on DraftKings. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Let's get to some Bill Self Audio coming up next. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, depending on it. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST Podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that would be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at rcst1320 you can also email us if you don't have twitter rcst1320am at gmail.com that's rcst1320am at gmail.com and if you want to listen live 3 to 6 p.m central time monday through friday on klwn KLWN klwn.com and the klwn app have a good rest of day and see you next podcast